Okay, if you got kids under the age of 13 listening to this podcast, stop the podcast and get them out of the room. Younger children should not be exposed to this. I take every episode of this podcast seriously, but this episode, it's as serious as a heart attack. I had a good friend once that said, if you look at the Old Testament, God finally lets judgment come to Israel every time they start sacrificing their children to Baal and Moloch. Well, the practice of sacrificing children is still here, and I'm not just speaking metaphorically. On the podcast today, I have on Deanna Holland. She is one of the organizers of Pro-Life Utah. Today, we have a conversation about abortion. We cover the history of this horror show, both pre and post Roe v. Wade. Then we talk about the actual practice. After that, we talk about the Dobbs decision and what it actually means regarding ending the practice of abortion. And newsflash, it isn't great. Finally, we talk about what we can do to do as Moses said and choose life and join the fight. I'm pretty used to receiving a certain amount of hate mail by doing this podcast. But after this episode, I think that's going to go up tenfold. And I'm just fine with that. I've counted the cost and I'll die on this hill. This just might be the most important episode I've done to date. And that's next on this episode of the Mormon Renegade Podcast. Because of your generosity last year... I was able to buy better audio equipment and software. I can't tell you how much it meant to me that not only did you spend your time here with me on the podcast, but also that you found enough value in what I'm doing that you donated the podcast to upgrade it. This year, I want to continue to grow. Now, I want to add video to the podcast to continue to help you, my guests, and myself connect better through the show. The other feature I'm working on for this podcast is something I have to remain vague about for now. But what I can say is that it's something that will help us better connect as fundamentalists and traditional LDS folks. Now, to get that equipment for the video content I want to do and to build the infrastructure for the other project with this podcast, donations would certainly be welcome. Or you can go to mormonrenegade.com, click that supply store button and get some new swag. New stuff will be out soon as well. Now, if you can't afford to do either of those two things, I totally get it. Maybe just keep the podcast in your prayers that we'll be blessed with those resources. Again, thank you for everything you do as well as for listening to the podcast. One more quick announcement here. I have videos up at YouTube. This year I plan on doing a whole lot more with video. Now, I haven't gotten a strike yet with YouTube, but to be honest with you, I feel like I'm kind of overdue. So in an effort to be one step ahead of YouTube, I'm going to start posting on Rumble as well. So for those of you, my listeners, who prefer video, I'd ask that you head on over to Rumble and look up the Mormon Renegade podcast channel and crush that like and subscribe button. And keep your eyes peeled for new video content. Thanks. You're listening to the Mormon Renegade Podcast. Well, Deanna, it's nice to have you on the podcast. I can't tell you how excited I am that you're here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So I got to tell you, this is one of those topics where people say it's the third rail of politics, right? Don't touch it. Right. Today, I want to touch it. I want to jump on it. I want to throw it around. I really want to get 
to the bottom of, of all of it, so to speak, because, because I think there's two reasons here. One is, is that when we think about, um, how important this topic is abortion, we're dealing with human lives. Now the, the other side can call it a fetus, a clump of cells or whatever, but at no place I I've had six children. No, at no point in that gestational period will that clump of cells be anything except a human being. It won't be a Coke can, it won't be an orange, and it will never turn into a transmission to a 79 Buick. That is a person. The other reason it's been so important to me is because uh, two of my six kids we adopted. And we adopted them from a uh, from my sister. And she was on meth. And she was, um, the, the twins were in horrible shape. And I remember, I, I've always been pro-life, but this made me like way pro-life. I, uh, I was talking to one of the doctors and he said, had we had our druthers, we would have went ahead and aborted those yeah. twins. And I watched those twins fight for every scrap of life they got, right? I mean, and it took many surgeries and it took many, many um, hours of physical therapy. But today they're 17 years old and they hold jobs and they they go to work. And crap, I didn't want to start this already. Um, they, <laughs> they, uh, they, they thrive in school and they have a bright, bright future ahead of them. I and, love it. And so when, when I start talking about this topic, it, it really is one of those things that has turned me into the most, for the most part, into like a one issue voter. Right. I'm like, tell me where you stand on the side of life. And then we can talk about everything else from there. So yeah. it's, it's just an honor to be able to speak with you as you represent pro-life Utah here. And uh, yeah, so I, I just really can't pre- tell you how much I appreciate you being here. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. So, so impress you and the twins. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, my wife really is the the rock star there. But real, real quick, um, what got you into this fight? Okay, so um, I was a mom. I uh, was an apprentice for a home birth midwife, so I went to a lot of births, um, and I wanted to get involved. I had this desire. I kept looking online to see if there was an organization I could join, something I could do. And all I found were um, national organizations, right? And I didn't have a lot of money right then. I had time and I had passion. And so off and on every couple of years, I'd I'd look and I'd, I'd try to figure out what I could do. And there just wasn't something. And in 2016, I heard, um, an advertisement or saw something that the March for life was coming up the national March in DC. And God really put it on my heart uh, to go to the local March. And I thinking that, you know, we live in Utah, there must be a local March um, decided I was going to go. And so I literally joined Facebook that day to see if I could figure out where and when the local March was. And that's when I found pro-life Utah. They were about five months old. Um, a brand new organization, and they told me there is none. Um, and so I said, well, to myself, I, I guess I can't go. 
And God said, mm, I think you should go, Deanna. I think you should do something. And so this was just the weekend before the National March, uh, the weekend before Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Uh, so it was a long weekend. And finally, I decided if it's just me and my stroller and my kids and one sign, we were going to walk from Washington Square up to the Capitol and um, have our own little march. And on Sunday, I, I messaged Pro-Life Utah and I said, if I put this on, will you guys come? And they said, yes. So I prepared a little speech on Tuesday. Um, I got my permits and on Wednesday, I started promoting it. And on Friday, we had our first March for Life uh, in Utah uh, on, in 2016. And so that's kind of how I met up with Pro-Life Utah when they were a new organization and how I got started. They said, hey, you, you seem like a go-getter. Come to our meeting. And that's where I, I got my title and, and where I started because it was an organization of about five or six people at that point. Holy cow. What are you up to now? I don't even know because <laughs> we have so many, we have so many volunteers and some of them, you know, come to our, our baby showers and, and come to our events, but aren't, you know, super involved. So it's really hard for me to even count, but a lot. And I look back at, you know, how the five of us used to do everything. And I am so grateful all of the time because we've grown so much. There's just no way we could operate without our volunteer force. That's awesome. So, that's awesome. You know, I think we take for granted because we live in Utah that we're just naturally pro-life, right? And, yeah. and we, we have this, I don't know, these blinders on a little bit. I don't know if you want to call it the bubble or just what it is, but we just tend to be like, well, it's Utah. I mean, yeah, we're, we're pro-life, right? I mean, but that's not necessarily the case. So a couple things we've you know, found out a lot of people in Utah think that there is no abortion in Utah. Um, they just aren't educated enough to understand that Roe held Utah hostage also. Um, so the whole entire time I've been with pro-life Utah, we have, I've met people over and over again that say, well, we don't have abortion in Utah. So that's part of the problem, right? Is not even knowing that it's here. And then we have a, a we're so nice in Utah that we don't want to tell anyone what they should do. And so we get a lot of um, people that feel like, well, I'm personally pro-life, but I don't want to tell someone what to do. And I'd say that's really indicative of a lot of the, the citizenry sometimes of Utah. Not all. We have a lot of very wonderful pro-life people, but we, we don't like to boss anybody. No, no. And, and I get it. And it's, it's one of those things where you're like, sometimes the the situation calls for a little bit more boldness. Right. Yeah. And, and I think most people, I could be wrong, but I think most people, you could wake them up for a coma and from a coma and be like, now quick, is that a hu human life? And they'd be like, well, yeah, that, that, that's a human life. And, and so I, I tend to look at it like it, it would be a lot like saying you're, you're pro Jewish, but you don't want to ever tell somebody else, you know, not to kill them during the Holocaust. Right. I mean, it's, it, yeah. It's, I, I try to do these thought exercises over and over, and I keep coming back to it. So real quick, what was the history of abortion within the United States? I mean, pre-Roe pre v. Wade. Yeah. So actually, I looked this up last night because I hadn't really dealt with anything pre-Roe, right? Roe's been with us so long. Roe was there before I was born. Um, but um, 
essentially, uh, the state started passing laws in the 1800s um, to outlaw abortion. And they were all different because these were state laws. And um, by the 1900s, every single state had a law against abortion. So, you know, the United States was a a pro-life country at that point. And um, it wasn't until, oh, the 1960s, right, in that women's movement that we started to look at things different. And even in that women's movement, um, they never, many of those women that fought for the right for abortion um, never realized what would happen after they got it, right? I remember reading an article about a woman who fought for Roe, who fought for women to be able to have abortion because she thought that it was going to be for those rare exception cases, those women that are really in need. And in hindsight, as she looked back at what had happened since Roe was passed, she had regret that she had ever helped get it passed because it has become a cultural thing to say, oh, you're in this situation, you need to have an abortion. Um, or you're unmarried, you should have an abortion, or you're poor, you should have an abortion, right? So the the idea of behind, you know, why they wanted Roe, um, some, right, some of those people in those movements during the 60s um, had to do with those hardship cases, and they just didn't realize what was going to happen once they passed it. So we had that movement really start in the 60s. Uh, Margaret Sanger had started the organization that ended up becoming Planned Parenthood way back in 1921. So between 1900 and the 1960s, you know, we had kind of that um, birth control movement going, but not really an abortion desiring um country until those women's rights in the 1960s. And so Roe v. Wade came in 1971, didn't uh, get decided until 1973 on January 22nd, and it opened up abortion for all 50 states, and the United States became um, a legal abortion country at that point in time. And um you know, Roe was was huge. Can you can imagine going from no abortion, right? Utah was a no abortion state pre-Roe to now Utah having to let women have an abortion up to the age of viability. So I don't know how much you know about Roe, but Roe used a trimester framework. And so nothing could be restricted in the first trimester. Women could just get an abortion anytime in the first trimester. The second trimester, the state could put some restrictions on, but they couldn't outlaw them. And then the third trimester, because of the interest of the baby, um, states were allowed to um, you know, place restrictions on abortions. And so that's how Utah you know, ended up with that first and second trimester uh, legal abortions due to Roe. And this was uh, in the 70s, right? The other formative um, case was parenthood. And yes, Casey. And um, I'm just making sure it was Casey versus Planned Parenthood. And that happened um, based off of a law that got changed in Pennsylvania in 1988 and 1989, Pennsylvania decided to put some restrictions on abortions. And this included a 24-hour waiting period 
and uh, a, a minor had to at least have one per parent for permission, uh, rules like that. And so Pennsylvania passed this law. Of course, their abortion providers were upset and they sued. And so um, this is the other big um, ruling from the Supreme Court. And so that went up to the Supreme Court. And in 1992, the Supreme Court um, cited in, in this Casey versus Planned Parenthood that states or sorry, that women had the right to an abortion, but the state had an interest in potential life. And so instead of the trimester framework, they went to a standard of undue burden, right? So in the first and second trimesters, we're not allowed to put an undue burden or a substantial obstacle onto a person wanting abortion. And so between Roe and Casey, that's kind of where we were at in the state of Utah. Um, Planned Parenthood was doing elective abortions up to 22 weeks until Roe v. Wade fell in the state of Utah. And I know because I've counted um, that we are well over 100,000 babies killed since Roe. We didn't even start tracking till the 1980s. And um, when I started, I, I counted up all of our statistical numbers from the 80s uh, onward. So a few years ago is when I did this and we were over 100,000 at that point. So we're well over 100,000 babies in Utah that have been killed because of that Roe ruling. Wow. You know, it... Because I'm a huge nerd and I don't sleep a lot, I tend to read a ton. And so once I got super passionate about this, I went back and I said, okay, let's look at what the founders had talked about. Because I, I tend to go back there. And you can find a law all the way back to like the 1700s, which said that after the time of the quickening, it was illegal to have an abortion. And you start trying to dis decipher what the quickening is. And essentially, it's once you know, right? I mean, there wasn't there wasn't a lot when of wiggle room. Yeah, when she can feel the baby move. Yep, yep. Yeah. And and so that was that was a huge thing. The other thing I studied a lot on was Margaret Sanger in particular. And yeah. what what people don't realize is this is a woman who comes from a very broken home. Um, her she suffers a massive blow to to her family when she's a young girl uh there's some men that break in beat her up i mean do some horrible horrible things but she becomes profoundly racist in yeah. in her later life she refuse refuse uh excuse me she um she she refers to blacks and asians as human weeds and I, I, you know, and, and this might just be me. And I, I see the world through a very black and white lens. I don't like a lot of gray area. And so I tend to look at this and I'm like, this has been dirty all the way through. And then you have where she makes speeches at Klan rallies. She, uh, she ends up uh, partnering up with the eugenicists who were really the folks who give uh, the, the, the third Reich, the idea of a final solution. I mean, this history is not a clean history whatsoever. And this yeah. is a history that I'm just going to call it like I see it. And yeah. it, look, I'll be honest. If I don't get a strike on YouTube for this, I haven't done my job. But <laughs> um, she, this is a profoundly evil practice founded in darkness and evil. 
and lies. So even back, like even in the 60s, right, NARAL was this big organization. And uh, Bernard Jensen was one of the founding members of NARAL. And he ended up becoming pro-life um, near the end of his, like later, right? And he he tells how they just lied. They made up those numbers of how many women were dying from back alley abortions, how many, they just made it all up and the news took it because it was what they wanted to hear, right? It fit the agenda that they had at the time. And so, yeah, it's it's profoundly evil. It's been propped up by lies and we still prop it up with those same lies even yeah. today. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when Roe v. Wade is passed, the floodgates kind of come open. Yeah. And it is it is the taking of life on a massive scale that I would dare to say mankind has not seen. My prayer is that one day my kids can look back on my generation and go, what 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 the hell is the matter with them? I mean, yeah. that that's that's my hope. Um, but we've lost millions of lives now. Yeah. Over 60 estimated. 60 million. Mm-hmm. In the United States. And then it, I, I, I don't think it's a secret also that, that through things like UNICEF and other things, we've kind of helped export that overseas, even if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I don't know if you have any information on that or. Not at my fingertips, but yeah, we, we have as a country, we've pushed that in other countries. Absolutely. So now, folks, if you have little kids in the room, I I gave a warning at the very beginning of this. I I want you to cover their ears or get them out of the the room because, you know, this this next part's going to be a little rough. Can you just explain so that we have an idea? I'm not I'm looking for as less gore as possible. But at the same time, I think it's important that we be perfectly clear on what an abortion is and how it's done. Okay. So if your listeners want to go and look and see and watch uh, a former abortion provider describe each procedure, um, a really great resource is abortionprocedures.com. It's, it's, it's done with um, drawings, right? Uh, But it's still really powerful and actually kind of difficult to watch, but you can go through each of the different types of the procedures. In general, uh, the state of Utah, we use three procedures because we don't do um, the third trimester abortions. Um, But in the first trimester, you've got two options. And one of them is the abortion pill, which is also called a medical abortion. And it's actually two pills Um, And a woman does this basically on her own. So she goes to the abortion clinic. They have her swallow the first pill. Okay. Um, It is mifepristone. And mifepristone is a a progesterone blocker. And so it essentially stops the nutrients from getting to the baby. The progesterone is a a nutrient supplier, right? You need progesterone um, to have a successful pregnancy. And so they give her this progesterone blocker. It takes that space up in the cells that progesterone normally takes and it blocks progesterone from getting to the baby. And so they send her home after swallowing this pill and they tell her to take the second pill, which is misoprostol or Cytotec, um, depending on, you know, name brand or whatever. And she takes this at home. And that second pill is the pill that causes the contractions that will then expel her baby. Um, And we know that not all babies, um, the first pill starves your baby to death. 
Um, the second pill expels it, but not all babies are deceased at 24 hours. Okay. Uh-huh. So some babies are being expelled um, while they're still alive. And so a woman is at home and she takes that second pill and all of a sudden she is bleeding and cramping hard. And um, abortion providers, even our Planned Parenthood, will tell her, sit on the toilet, don't look at what comes out. When you're done, just flush. Okay, so we're flushing these babies down the toilet. Um, And they're telling them, don't look. Because a woman has been misinformed, right? Planned Parenthood does not tell them what their baby's like. Um, And they do this uh, abortion pill up to 10 weeks. And so you have a mom. I've had two miscarriages. I know what babies this size and age, thank you, look like. Um, And so to be someone who takes that pill, thinking it's nothing but some cells and tissue, and then seeing uh, your tiny baby would be very difficult. And so I really think the abortion pill is a, a horrible way um, they're alone, they're, they're misinformed and all of a sudden they, they have their baby right there staring at them, oh, essentially, you know, it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard thing. That's why they're told to sit on the toilet, don't look and flush. So that's the medical abortion pill option. It's an option up to 10 weeks. It's very popular in the state of Utah. Yes. Can I stop you right there real quick? And I yeah. should have done this before we dove into this part, but before we get into the next option. What does a woman encounter when she goes to Planned Parenthood? Okay, I so I, I apologize. I threw that one at you. Cold. No, no, that's okay. I know this really well. It's not a problem. Uh, a few years ago, we actually passed a law based off of some um, undercover work that we did. And we sent women in. At the time, we had a law that looked really good on paper. You know, the abortion provider had to tell the mom about the exact um, development of her baby um, so if you were seven weeks along, they had to tell you the development of a seven week baby. They had to tell the mom, um, what the procedure would do to the baby. This was all in statute. And so we sent women in to take this informed consent class and we had them audio record it. And we were able to tell that what Planned Parenthood actually did was skip those two very important sections altogether. In fact, I've got a, um, I've got a piece of paper here, and um, this is one that they hand out. The way they describe all abortions up to 22 weeks is this one sentence. In the clinic, your doctor or nurse will use gentle suction to remove the pregnancy. That's all they told you, right? So they're not describing anything for how, how developed your baby is. They're not telling you these things that by statute they were supposed to. So we went to the legislators and said, we need to change this. And what we've done is put that information into an online module that the health department created. We had someone on the board that helped. It's actually quite, it's actually quite good. The problem is the health department didn't make it so you couldn't just scroll through it. So I can get through the entire presentation in under three minutes and not watch a single thing. Mm. So we know that women are not being informed. We've tried to do our very best. That's one of the the cleanup things that we're going to try to get past. Um, The last two years, our bill didn't even get into committee. Legislators were like, nope, don't. We've done enough. We passed the trigger law. We've done enough. Um, And so we'd like to make it so you can't just scroll through, right? 
Um, but women were not getting this information. Women did not understand exactly what the abortion procedures were because they weren't being told it by their abortion provider. And we had, uh, I think, eight women go in and take it. They read it off of a card. So every woman got the exact same thing because they were reading off of this exact same laminated card from Planned Parenthood. Good gracious. So does Planned Parenthood do anything as far as here's your options? You you know, abortions there, but you could also adopt or, you know, do, do they uh, do they really do anything of that sort? So by law, they had to do um, some things verbally. There was a little sentence in there um, about adoption that they would read. But in reality, not really. I mean, one of them read the card so fast. it was, I was amazed. I think I went back and timed that one later. You, you're, there's no you don't, they don't really want you to ask questions. They're not really explaining anything. There's no diagrams. There's no pictures. There's no nothing. You know, if I was to teach you about this, I would utilize visuals. I would really be explaining it. I'd be asking you questions to see if you really understood it and knew it. But truthfully, they don't, they don't want women to know that information. This important information about the fetal development of your baby and what the abortion procedure actually does to your baby. Those are the two things that are going to make you change your mind. Right. So, right. Yeah. Why are, why do they push abortion as hard as they do? What, what vested interest do they have in that? Do we know anything about that? I mean, it's a moneymaker. Um, but there's just, I, I don't, I don't understand the ideology. Um, we, when we were on that committee, um, one of, one of us, Mary Taylor, our president with the health department, Planned Parenthood actually got to be on the committee for that also. And I feel like there are people that follow that ideology that have no idea. At one point, there was a couple of doctors on that panel. At one point, when they were discussing a sentence where it says, be sure you know you want to do this because abortion ends the life of a human being. She turned to the doctor and said, well, that's not true. You don't believe that, do you? It's not alive. And the doctor had to say, yes, that's that's medically accurate. And so I think that we have people that don't see the nitty gritty. They don't, they don't look into it. They just hear the taglines and they go along and they believe I, it's, it's almost impossible for me to imagine, but I know they truly believe that's, that's not a baby. That's nothing. That's, it's really weird. I, it's, it's difficult to imagine, frankly. Wow. Wow. All right. Let's go on to the next procedure that can be done in Utah. Okay, so the next one is an aspiration abortion or a suction DNC. So uh, like when women have a miscarriage, sometimes they go in and, and do a DNC to remove a deceased baby. So the difference is that the baby is still alive when you do this procedure, right? The whole um, purpose of an abortion is to kill a baby before it comes out, right? So this one's done up to 12 weeks. The doctor dilates the cervix with these dilator instruments, and then he inserts a suction catheter into the uterus, and then they turn the suction on, and the living baby is then suctioned into pieces, essentially. And then they use um, tools to scrape any remaining tissue from the walls of the uterus. And this is essentially a DNC, but on a living baby. And, and we have women in Utah that get confused, right? Um, 
because some women have contacted us and think that because they had a miscarriage and then a DNC after that they have had an abortion. And that's absolutely false. Abortion um, abortion is the purposeful killing of an unborn baby. Right. It's not the removal of a deceased baby um, after a miscarriage. Right. So, and, and approximately what, what period of gestation does a DNC usually happen? First trimester, because the babies are small and their baby or their bones and they're they're so soft that they can be suctioned through that uh, gotcha. that tube. Yeah, I watched a video once. I I've been on this for a little while now on this topic, and um, I met a woman who I don't know how she did it, but she got out like one of the recordings of when one was done. And the most heartbreaking part is you could see the baby trying to get away. And there, you know, obviously there's no place to go, but uh, it's, it's absolutely a horror show. Now, those are the only two types that can be done in Utah. No, those are just the two first trimesters. So there's one more second trimester procedure that is um, probably the most horrific of them all. Um, and it's called a DNE. Um, it's dilation and evacuation. It's done between 13 and 24 weeks. So in Utah, um, they stopped up to, at 22, right? Viability, um, basically. Our, our Utah statute said if it's even maybe possible to be viable. So I feel like that's why Planned Parenthood ended at 22, not 24 uh, in the state of Utah. But between 13 and 24 weeks is when this procedure is done. The baby's bigger. It can't be suctioned through a catheter anymore. Its bones are harder. Um, so basically what the abortionist has to do is they, they perform a dismemberment procedure on a living baby. So the doctor, again, dilates the woman's cervix and then uses what they call a sofa clamp. And it's a clamp that has sharp teeth on it so that when it grabs tissue, it doesn't slip, right? And so they will use this sofa clamp to just blindly reach into the uterus and grab whatever part of the baby they can grab. And it's going to usually be an arm or a leg. Sorry, it's kind of hard to describe this. Yeah. And they will, they will grab and they will jerk and they will um, pull that limb off and then they'll put it on a tray, reach back in again, grab whatever they can grab, rip it and, and, and pull it hard and, and quick so that they can um, get that limb off. Um, and they'll do this until basically most of the time you have a torso and a head left. And, mm -hmm. and um, in order to get the head out, you have to crush it. Um, this baby is alive when they start. At a certain point, this baby will succumb to um, its injuries and it will die. Um, but this baby is being tortured in a way that we don't torture anything any living creature like this. Um, I, I can't even, I can't even think of a situation where we do anything like this to any living creature where they're alive, they're safe, they're small and vulnerable and innocent. And we literally rip them apart limb from limb while they're living. And that still um, takes place in Utah today. Yes. Yes, it does. Um, yeah, it does. So I can go back for one second and tell you what has happened in the state of Utah since Roe. 
um, okay. fell, right? Because so in 2020, actually, I got to go back two years before that. In 2020, we passed what we called a trigger law. And the trigger law said, if Roe ever falls and the states are able to make their own laws for abortion, this is what our law will be. And what we were able to get passed at that time was a no, um, no abortion after implantation, except for those rape, incest, life of mother, fatal fetal anomaly exceptions that we already had. Um, our legislature's really comfortable with those and we weren't able to, to work on those, but we were able to get, instead of 22 weeks, you actually couldn't have an abortion, right? For no reason. It, those elective abortions are gone. And so this law got passed in 2020. It was signed by the governor and it was just going to sit there until Roe v. Wade, Wade fell. And I, I honestly, I didn't know if Roe would ever fall. It'd been almost 50 years, right? But we had it waiting in the wings just in case. And then the Dobbs case happened and it went up to a different Supreme Court than we had had. Right. And uh, on June 24th, 2022, Roe v. Wade fell that morning. It fell that morning. Planned Parenthood stopped abortions by 6 p.m. that night. Um, there was a little bit of um, stuff that had to be done on the back end. Our law went into effect. Okay. Saturday, Planned Parenthood and the Utah ACLU filed the lawsuit. Monday morning, they were in court with Judge Andrew Stone, who gave them a preliminary two-week injunction on our law, which made it so that they could do abortions for those two weeks. Two weeks later, when he did the hearing with them, he he placed in that injunction on uh, our law for the entirety of the lawsuit. So simply because Planned Parenthood and ACLU sued the state of Utah, our law is still not in effect. Legislators passed it. The governor signed it. Nobody said that it's unconstitutional. Even their case is weak. Planned Parenthood and the ACLU are saying that Utah's state constitution has the right to abortion in it. But what's happening, because they were able to get this activist judge to put that on our law, it's going to be possibly years before our law can actually go into effect. And so there's a couple things on the horizon that they're working on. The Utah Attorney General's office is the one that is charged with um, defending our law. And they put in a request to the Utah State Supreme Court to look specifically at the injunction and if the judge put that injunction on appropriately. But we've been waiting for a few months now, and we still don't have a, a date um, for that hearing. So I'm not sure when that would be. The last we heard is it might be February, but because I still haven't heard a date, I'm not sure. Maybe it'll be March. Um, the problem that we have, though, is that Utah um, rules for those injunctions is actually quite lenient compared to national standards. And so we might not win at this level. They might say, according to the rules that were there in place when he put that injunction on, that injunction can stand. And so Representative Brady Brammer, who's actually my representative, North Utah County, has uh, a bill. It's, it's actually a, a joint resolution. So HJR2 that has gone through the House Committee and House floor and it has passed. Um, 
his would bring our rules in line with national standards. And it would put a little bit more responsibility onto Judge Stone to prove why he has the ability, why he why he's doing what he's doing, right? There's more uh, responsibility for him to be able to prove that they're likely to win, right? They're likely to win the lawsuit um, and and he wouldn't be able to do that. Uh, whether that's going to help this particular law, I don't know. It should help um, maybe upcoming laws. It's also hurt. Uh, the same thing happened with the women's sports bill the, that was trying to keep boys out of girls' sports. Um, it it There was a lawsuit there. It got an injunction, right? Um, I know that Senator Kennedy is working on the um, uh, to stop... Um, surgeries and cross-sex hormones, right, on children, that he's expecting a lawsuit, right? So this, these rules are kind of what causes the state of Utah, when we do good things, um, that they get held up with these lawsuits, right? So hopefully that gets passed. We're unsure whether it will help us in this case specifically. Um, but right now, Planned Parenthood has not lost a single abortion. The day they shut down on Friday, when when Roe fell, they just put them in the next week, right? No babies have been saved so far. And that's why we held our event last Wednesday as a funeral for those babies that should have been saved that were not. I know uh, I know of a couple of women that that went to that, and they said it was just shocking and powerful all at the same time. Yeah. So this Judge Stone, it, who was he appointed by? Governor Herbert. Oh, there's so many bad words I want to say right now. <laughs> Holy you cow. know, it, it was really interesting. I listened to um, that hearing. It was quite short. It was just about an hour. And at no point in time did anyone, did he really talk about the effect that, you know, putting this on our law would do to any babies. Um, It was like they weren't there. And all I heard coming from his mouth were pro-choice talking points. So, you know, we don't have a hope in his court. We really don't. Um, He is fully in the pro-choice mode. So we, we know that this lawsuit has to get to the Utah State Supreme Court in order to be able to have a chance. So that can be two to three years. Oh, geez. Yeah. And, and that bill was, uh, that you were speaking about where it was going to require maybe that judge to, to do a little more analysis. That was HJR2. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, it's a joint resolution. Um, It has to have a two-thirds majority, not just 50%. It has to have a two-thirds majority in order to pass. So we've gotten it so far. When are they going to vote on that? It should be going to um, Senate committee. Wait, did it go to Senate committee? This week, we probably should have some movement on it. Okay. Actually. So. If anybody's. There's four steps, right, to every law, basically. Committee, floor, committee, floor. Right. Mm -hmm. So to anybody listening in in the Utah audience, now's a great time to get acquainted with your representative. Get on the horn and don't stop. I crash their their boards. I please crash them. Just keep calling until you get through and make sure you let them know. We're going to remember. Come election time next yeah. year, we have a very long memory. 
because that's yeah. the only way this thing's going to get through. Yeah. And if you guys um, give, if you give me one second, I'll give you um, a phone number. If yeah. your yeah. listeners text the word life to this number, go ahead. You go ahead. will get our legislative text alerts. It's 385 200 9929. And we, it, that signs you up when you text life to that number, that signs you up for our text alerts. And that's where we'll send you out information on each bill. Um, it's actually a little form that you can fill out. Uh, you put your name and address in there. We figure out who your rep is, who your senator is. You know, we send it to the correct people, right? If it's a committee, we we know the transportation committee emails. We put them in on the back end and your email goes to them um, and you know when to send things and what to send them about. We even give you some talking points to make sure that you um, understand each of these bills. And so that's a really great tool for you to help us uh, be able to um, make change, right? Um, so that's a that's a great easy tool. It's easy um, to do that. Even better is doing that and then calling your rep or or your senator, right? Fantastic. Let Let me ask you this. What was your feeling when the Dobbs decision came down? I mean, like officially, right? We knew well ahead of time because somebody dirty leaked that. But when when (laughs) when it became obvious that uh, that Roe was going to go away, what what was your initial reaction? You know, I think my biggest reaction was when it actually fell, and it was almost disbelief. Like I just was walking around in this days of, did this really just happen? Right. I I almost couldn't believe it. And so it was just this days. And I was, I was so happy. I'm like, who do I call? What do I do? I wanted to just go to the Capitol and start shouting things. But at the same time, we had been planning a celebration and yet we had on the back end the FBI talking to us. We had uh, Jane's Revenge that was threatening things all across the country. They had been like um, harming pregnancy resource right. centers, and and so we didn't want to place anybody in harm's way. So we actually waited a whole entire week to put our celebration on, so that we knew what was going to happen. There was some um, some talk that maybe they would bust people in have some riots, whatever. Um, And so we were, we waited. So that day we really wanted to do something, but at the same time we couldn't um, really. So we, we had to wait, but it was a very interesting time, but we had at that time, real hope that abortion was going to stop. We'd been told by the legislature that it might take up to 30 days for our law to go into effect. So when it went into effect later that day, we were even more excited and then the lawsuit happened. And then we realized we fight Satan. Yeah, That's who we fight. And Satan loves his baby killing. And this is a fight that probably will never truly go away. Yeah. We're still fighting it up at the legislature right now. We have bills that are trying to poke giant holes in our law. The law that's not even in effect yet so that you can drive semi trucks through them right there's just right. It, it's this it's this war that i think will never end yeah. almost but we keep fighting so i've never told this story on air before but um i will here and 
Look, for those of my listeners who aren't Mormon of any stripe, you're probably going to want to turn this part out because I'm about to get all Jesus on you. So what I had, I, I lived for a couple years, me and my wife and our four kids on the eastern shore of Maryland. And uh, I had a good friend who's, who, whose dad was a rabbi. His dad's name was Zeke. And I remember I had questions for Zeke once. I was like, you know, there's some stuff in Jeremiah that just doesn't make any sense to me. Jeremiah and Lamentations. Can you walk me through this? And he got real quiet, like uncomfortable shift in his chair quiet. And he's like, we really don't like talking about that. And so I just left it alone. And about, um, about three weeks later, he called me, he said, you know, I don't know why I can't get it out of my head. Why don't you come over to my house and we'll talk about it. So I go in and he sets me down and he walks me through a bunch of stuff. But essentially the last part was the part that was so terrifying, which was he, he linked what was happening in Israel to what was occurring in America right then and continues to occur now. And he said, God passed judgment on Israel when Israel started to offer up their children. And it's, it scared me to death when he laid out the whole thing. And I, I won't lay it all out here because it's kind of complex, but it, it, it really struck a nerve. And so I remember when the Dobbs decision came down, I was ecstatic. I was like, we may have bought ourselves some more time. We can get our house in order. And that night, um, I was actually on my knees uh, just in my private prayers. And I was offering up just basically a prayer of Thanksgiving, you know, thanking the Lord for, for putting us into place. And what I got back was something I wasn't expecting, which was oh, judgment's not done yet. You have an averted judgment. I'm just giving people a time, you know, some time to sort themselves out. Because one of the things we saw with the Dobbs decision is that in some places, yeah, like Alabama, they just shut it down. We're done. We're done. But places like California, yeah, they went full tilt the other direction. They yeah. went towards infanticide. Yeah. And it it dawned on me what that message meant. That this was time for people to get their house in order, right? If you don't yeah. like what one state's doing, it's time to vote with your feet and really think about moving because I really do believe this is a sifting period. So so it's interesting that you thought about that that day because I also thought about that. Um and I I I realized that we had been propped up by Roe right? Roe had tied our hands and made it so that we couldn't stop it. And so it was easy. We could pass these little laws to try to crack down on it a little and make a little bit of change, but we really didn't have the power to stop it. And when Roe fell, the power is in our hands. The question is, are we going to do it? And that's the part that scared me because we have become a society that rejects God in a lot of ways. Even some of the people that believe in God, we follow the world and we follow that uh, outlook, right? And and we we reject a lot of the things that God would have us do because we're following the world. And so the real question in my mind was, what is the state of Utah going to do? Because I know 
I know that you have to be really strong and really firm in order to get this law in place and then to keep it. And I'm not sure we have that. I'm not sure we're, we're working as hard as we can. And yes, we have some really fabulous legislators, but does the state of Utah really have the will to do what we have to do in order to avoid that condemnation now that the power is in our hands? Yeah. Yeah, no, that I'm I'm glad to know I wasn't the only one that had that thought because I felt like Debbie Downer at the party, right? Because all my <laughs> yeah. friends were slapping high fives and I'm like, eh, I would maybe back off that high five slapping for just a little while because I don't think this is <laughs> over, right? And yeah. I've told people that I know that live in California and I, I, look, at this point, I'm 45, I'm married, I got six kids. I ain't trying to impress anybody, right? I'm like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's time now for you to uh, get get out of there. Right. I mean, if you're yeah. truly opposed to this, now's the time because really that's the only thing that I think will, will save individuals at this point. Right. You get to vote with your feet, go someplace else where those rules are strict, more stringent. And it's, it's not, it's not a, a mass kill state. I don't know how else to put it. I'm running out of ways to put, put it, uh, put it easy. But I think at this point, those, right. those are gone. Right. I also want to talk, there's, we have a problem and the problem is that the abortion pill is readily available and I'm not going to give um, the hows of it's readily available, but it doesn't take much more than Google and let you know that um, my 14 year old daughter um, with my permission, right? Me asking her to was able to order abortion pills online from out of the country for $20 and huh. so this isn't something that the doctor is in Eastern Europe. The uh, pills come from India. This isn't something that we have the power to stop unless we as a culture change because they're calling it plan C now, by the way, the abortion pills are now called plan C and um, the abortion activists are saying, you don't even need to take a pregnancy test. You don't need to go to your doctor. Just take plan C. Right. And that's the two abortion pills that I described to you. Um, When you do that, you don't have anyone checking if you have an ectopic pregnancy. There's dangers to that. If you want to talk about people that don't care about uh, women being safe, it's the pro-choice side. They will throw them under the bus just so they can keep their abortions going. But this this war right of abortion, it doesn't really have a time to end probably till Jesus comes, right? It is just a war. And um, the only way in some ways we can really win that is by taking back our culture. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. I, again, being a super nerd, especially for, <laughs> for the U S founding, that's why I moved from Idaho to the Eastern shore of Maryland was to immerse myself in it. And um, I, I remember thinking at one point, if we want to kind of grab society back, we're going to have to do some things that are, as people who tend to be more conservative, we're not comfortable doing, right? That would be going out and, you know, getting involved in the media somehow, right? I always thought, you know, the the Constitution will become cool again when we um, 
go ahead and put the founders back in their right light as what they were, which were rebels, which were resistance to tyranny. And until we do that, I don't think that's going to, that's going to happen. And I think we have to do that as well with, with this, with this topic as well. Somehow we're going to have to engage like we're really not comfortable doing. Yeah. So look, yeah, let me give you an example. So the satanic temple, um, the national satanic temple, um, gave a, what, let their, their members vote on which state to hold their celebration in. And they picked some of the most conservative states and their members voted to hold that in Utah. And they, I don't know if you remember, they held it on the steps of the Utah state Capitol. And I could not let that go. And we decided to put on a counter protest because you don't get to celebrate abortion and Satan on the steps of our Capitol without having the other side there. And so we were there, but what was really interesting to me was how many people told me, Oh, I, I don't want to go there. I don't want to be by those people. I don't, I don't want to get involved. I don't, you know, they can go. It's their right to have free speech. And I'm like, sure, I'm not stopping that. Right. But God expects us to do more. And the fact that so many people were afraid to go be in the same place and to counter protest that was really eye opening to me. Um, and that's where those types of things, I feel like we have to become more willing to step out of our comfort zone. I, I stood there, uh, you know, we gave them their space, right? I stood there a little ways off and we listened to them hail Satan over and over and over and over again and celebrate abortion and talk about their abortion ritual. They have a satanic abortion ritual and, um, and yet you know, it's like, we're not willing. I have had so many people tell me they don't really worship Satan. And I keep saying, yes, that's a tagline. They like to tell the media, but all you have to do is look at what they do, watch what they do and, and be there. You know, they do. I I was there. They worshiped Satan on the steps of our Capitol. And so, yes, things that might be uncomfortable to, to do, to go and do, they're important. We have to be God's warriors at this point in time. In order to take our culture back, we have to be willing to go into uncomfortable places. Did it change anything? I don't know. All I know is that I told God I would go. I would go because people needed to be there. We had to show that there were people that loved God and were against this um, on that day when they were doing what they were doing. Yes, it changed something. And and it changed something in the fact that you know you and God are good. Right? And and that is sometimes all we can take from this. Just because the problem is overwhelming and daunting doesn't mean we get to set it out. Right. Just because we know Jesus wins in the end doesn't mean we get to set it out. It's right. kind of the opposite. Right. Yeah. We, we, we got to step it up a little bit more. We got to yeah. get involved. And to all those people that always, I always hear them say, Oh, had I been in Germany during the third Reich, I would have definitely been like Oscar Schindler. Would you, would you really? Because now's your time. We're, it, it's the same thing. It is the loss of human life. Where are you? Yeah. Where are you? And that's yeah. at the point where I start getting a little spicy. I'm like, <laughs> 
I look, I'm a dude that that is really quite lazy. All I want to do is sit on the couch, eat Doritos, get my fantasy football really dialed in so I can have bragging rights, and that's it. <laughs> but these are not the times we live in now. These are the yeah. times that we have to be engaged harder than we've ever been been engaged for before. And so if if we don't jump in, we're in, we're in a world of hurt because now it's on us. Before right. before we had I hate to use the term this way, but we had the benefit of saying, well, it's the feds, right? They're going to take their money and there's nothing we can do. That argument is over. It is yeah. over. Now it's on us. Now it's on us and we had better get way active real quick. Right. I agree. So what are other states doing okay. now? I mean, how how are other states faring in this process? Yeah, so some of them have had uh, lawsuits, but they don't have an injunction during the lawsuit. So their laws are in place. Some of them are like us, right, who had those laws, but the injunctions have halted those laws. Uh, like you were talking about, some of them um, are going full gung-ho um, and um, making them an, an abortion destination, right? Colorado has said they're going to do that. Um, Planned Parenthood's talked about having mobile clinics uh, right across the border so that Utah women can go um, and cross the border and get that uh, service. So there's a lot of different things happening, but there are some states whose laws are in place and functioning. Jeez. Uh, it's it's good to know that, that those other states are taking the stand, but the states that scare me are Virginia and and California and New York, where they're talking about, they, I even hate validating it, but they call it a post-birth abortion. Yeah. It's infanticide. There's no other yes. way around it. it yeah. It's the, the one thing I'll say for the Dobbs decision, there's no more middle ground. Right. There is no more middle ground. It, 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 the, for, for the side that's on the side of, and I'll use your words here, that's on the side of Satan, the masks have come off. Yeah, there there is no more middle ground. And it will be interesting to see um, what happens. We're coming into the legislative session time, right? Post Dobbs. And so Utah is one of the earlier ones. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with each state as they go through these timeframes. You know, Utah had our trigger law in place. And so that's why when Dobbs fell, we had that you know, go into effect for like a day. <laughs> um, but some of these states are now going to be reacting to the Dobbs decision in this co- upcoming legislative session in their state. And so it'll be very um, eye-opening, I think, to see where some of them go. Very cool. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this. A lot of times we hear this thing about, well, it's for the mother's health. It's for the mother's well-being. What kind of, are there any side effects that a mother experiences after an abortion? Sure. Um, Or even during, right? So Planned Parenthood um, lists some of the possible physical complications. There's more than this, but I'm just going to read off some of the ones that they list in their literature, the paper that I showed you earlier. And so it can be an incomplete abortion, which means uh, if you did the abortion pill, maybe not everything came out. So you have to go in and do another 
uh, suction abortion. You can have retained tissue, which can then cause uh, an infection, can cause heavy bleeding. We've got uterine blood clots. Um, you can have allergic reaction to medications. You can have a physical injury or perforation to your cervix, uterus, or other organs they even list. And they list death as a possible side effect um, for abortion. And those are the ones that are listed on their handout. Like I said, there's more. As far as psychological trauma and damage, um, so many of the, since abortion is so political, so many of these studies are politicized and you kind mm -hmm. of can't trust them. So when we go to something, we actually go to, um, it was a quantitative analysis done by Dr. Uh, Priscilla Coleman. And she went and took 22 studies from six countries and looked at the data from those studies. And from that, she concluded that there was an overall 81% increase in risk of mental health problems. And those included things like a 34% increase in anxiety disorders, 37% increase in depression, 110% increase in alcohol abuse, 220% increase in marijuana use or abuse, and 155% increase in suicidal behaviors. So if you're talking to me, Deanna, I know quite a few post-abortive women. And so I'm going to list off to you the things that I know these women that I know have gone through. So personally, self-harm, cutting, alcohol abuse, risky behaviors, right, due to self-hatred, uh, drug abuse, agoraphobia, depression. These are all things that um, women I know have, have suffered with um, post-abortion. And so there are a lot of things. It, it doesn't make logical sense that a woman can go and have her child killed and have no effect from that. Um, we also host a postportive support group that does an eight week uh, course to help women be able to open up that wound and go through the stages um, of grief and processing what, what happened to them, right? What they chose. Um, and so this is something that, that we know affects women. We know it does, but in some ways women are, are preyed upon, right? right? They get in these difficult circumstances. They get pressure. We had one woman we were working with that we were hoping she would not choose to have an abortion, but the pressure from her family and the boyfriend, she drove her into that clinic, right? Uh. Women are feeling the effects of pressure. They're feeling the effects of pressure from life circumstances, from society telling them this is what they should do, from men who don't want to take care of it. Sadly enough, there are some of those men. And so, you know, when we are out on the sidewalk with our mobile clinic and our sidewalk advocates, we look at these women and have a lot of love and compassion for them. And we offer them help and hope. Um, because we don't want them to suffer what comes from an abortion. We want them to hold their baby and to be happy and to take a totally different path, a path that leads to peace, right? Not the path that, that goes to um, something that you can never undo. Yeah. Just the 500% increase in suicidal ideation. Uh, that was 155%. Sorry, 155%. What did I say? 
500. <laughs> it's amazing that I have any listeners. It really is. Um, <laughs> 155%, right? And we're in an era where mental health is just pounded on constantly. Yeah. But yet we we dive into this. 155% across the board, multiple countries that this study was done in. That's absolutely insanity. Um, what, and as, as you've opened up that clinic for mothers who have had that, gone through that, I can't imagine the, the carnage that's left behind. So, yeah, that's our group. Um, we, our group meets just in a home weeks. It goes through a program and it just helps them. Some of our moms are women, Sorry, our women can't even talk, uh, say the word abortion. They can't talk about it. It ha- They stuff it inside and the effects come out in those self-harm, right? But they stuff it inside, think they'll never tell anybody, think that they're just going to f- try to forget about it. And it's something that's hard to forget, right? And so we just help them be able to start opening that up and take that out and start that healing process to be able to really take a look at that and and start to forgive themselves. It's a very difficult a difficult thing for them. So our mobile clinic is an ultrasound clinic and we park it in front of Planned Parenthood. Um, Mostly the two Planned Parenthoods in Salt Lake, they do um, abortions only at the Metro clinic. Their surgical abortions are all done there at the Salt Lake clinic. They do the abortion informed consent classes and they will do uh, the abortion pill abortions. And so what we do, our ministry um, with these women is to be outside where they're coming to, right? We know abortion-minded women are coming to these locations. And so we have um, advocates that are trained through the National Sidewalk Advocates for Life Training Organization. And we lovingly and kindly approach them and offer them the services that are in our clinic, which is pregnancy tests and ultrasound, a chance to see their baby. When a woman accepts that invitation, then we bring her inside the clinic. We're parked right there, right? We bring her inside the clinic. We give her an ultrasound, let her see her baby, and then talk to her about the ways that we can help her through what we call our life grant program. And that life grant program is available to any of these women that were on their way to either take that class or have an abortion. And it offers them up to $3,000 monetary help. A lot of these women are going in for monetary problems. Um, It offers them two of our women's support team members to be there for them, to help them navigate the crises that are going on in their life. So some of our moms have uh, housing problems or um, no car or no job or um, an abusive uh, boyfriend or whatever it is. We give them those two women and all of our resources and support to be able to work with them to try to get them to a place of stability by the time their baby comes. So that's our goal. Fantastic. We meet you, we love you, we help you. And then at the end, we give them a baby shower and they have all the baby supplies that they need. We make sure that they have everything that they need. And so that's what we're out there doing. And it's working. It's working. It's a lot of work. It's one-on-one Um, We have 25 women currently in our program. We saved 54 babies in 2022. Um, And it's, we do the hard work. I I have driven to Wyoming, you know, whatever it takes. um, That's what we do because these women 
have no support system and that's why they're walking in there. So we become that for them. Do you have any stats on how many women still choose abortion once they see the ultrasound? Yeah. So the stats from our clinic are at 80% right now, which is pretty standard. Um, The Save the Storks is a national organization that helps put these mobile clinics um, out around the country. Um, we are not part of them, but their statistic is 8% also. So it's fairly common. We have some pretty difficult cases. You know, some of the women that come in are, are very abortion minded. Um, we're, we're not a pregnancy resource center that sees, um, a lot of low income women that are already wanting to keep their baby and just need that help and support. We're literally pulling the women in off the, the sidewalk that are, are in the process of aborting their babies. That's an amazing stat, though. 80% of the women that see the ultrasound end up choosing life. Yeah. That's that's amazing. God yes. bless you. God bless you. Thank you. So what do you think the biggest hurdle is that, that you guys face? Is it just laws? I mean, is it just, I mean, what what's your biggest roadblock? Oh, um. So laws would be a huge deal, right? Um, If we didn't have Planned Parenthood able to do 3,000 abortions a year, we could save more babies. But we also have the problem that they're going to be opening up clinics across the border. They're going to be sending abortion pills. They're making states abortion abortion destinations. I mean, California has talked about paying for women to come to California from states like ours to be able to get an abortion for free. So you're taking, they're taking away all of those obstacles that sometimes make a woman pause and try to find another solution. So there's multiple obstacles that we have uh, in our path, even when our law gets put into effect, um, we'll still be working to find those women um, who, who possibly we could change their mind, change the trajectory of what they choose. So and our moms love their babies. It's so interesting because it's, it's like blinders on a horse, right? These women are walking into that clinic thinking there's only one path that they can do and they can't see anything else uh, available to them. And we, we take them and we, and we say, well, that's not like a really great path. Don't you want this one? And we turn their heads a little bit and we show them the path of life and the path that will help them with all of these things they're struggling with and they can have their baby. And it is amazing to watch the change in them when they are given the power to to be a mom, to keep their baby, when they feel supported. And like that is a path that's open to them. It's amazing. To, it's it's a, a beautiful thing to see. I'll uh, I'll share another story here. I have I've never shared with very many people, much less throwing my voice into the ether on it. But um my son got married way young cuz you know he was 18 him and his girlfriend were messing around and you know it happened and i remember i remember he came to talk to me about it and uh fortunately it's one of the few times i did something right cuz i didn't freak out inside i was freaking out inside right. i was like <laughs> I lifted right. weights a lot that night, right? Like I, <laughs> fortunately the gym's yeah. open 24 hours and I told, told my sweet wife, I'm like, I, I gotta go lift this. This is bad. Um, but 
the thing I remember is, is I can either make this hard or I can, can try to, to make this as easy as I can. Yeah. Cause we're dealing with a human life now. We're not dealing right. with, with rules on chastity or, or, and, and I, I'm totally for those, right. You're yeah. talking to, to a pretty conservative Mormon guy, it, right. It would save a lot of trouble. It would, would right. Back to those as a society. Yep. However, as as long as I think we're people, we're going to continue to have this, right? And so it's one of right. those things where I think we have to reprogram ourselves a little bit, right? Where where yeah. we don't lessen what's happened, but yet we also don't hit the freak out button and create an opportunity for something way worse to happen. And yeah. that's that's a hard thing to do. That's crazy. And and Oftentimes I've wondered if there doesn't need to be training for, for just your run of the mill parents on how to respond to this. Right. I mean, because I, I've, I've heard of cases and I, and I could be wrong, but you know, a, a young woman says, you know, me and my boyfriend were screwing around. I got pregnant and my parents freaked out and now she's really out of options. Right. Right. I, they're going to kick me out of the house. The interesting thing though, Dave, is that, we with our teen moms haven't had that when we meet a teen mom a first thing we want them to do is to go tell their parents yeah and all of our teen moms parents have been wonderful all of them have been wonderful and so it's almost the fear that the teenagers have almost more than what the parents reaction ends up being that is driving them into that clinic. And that's not all parents, right? I'm sure some of them screw it up. Um, but we have this societal fear, right? That we got to cover up certain sins more than others. And this is one that people want to cover up. And I just want to tell them, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, uh, the harm of abortion is even more than what, than the harm of, you know, law of chastity, breaking the law of chastity, right? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, we don't want to cover up the law of chastity um, breakage by, by killing your baby. Like just for these moms, you know, we, we totally care about these moms. Right. Um, we don't want them to suffer these harms in any way, right? Medically or psychologically or even, you know, um, eternally, right? So, yeah, we, I think parents, in our experience, they've done a pretty darn good job. It's just sometimes we're the, the people that are there at that place at the right time to be able to help them talk to their parents. We even had one of our cute little teen moms who was determined to do it. And her mom um, said, okay, I'll, I'll go with you. She couldn't change her mind. And, um, but her mom was praying the whole time that something would stop her, that something would stop her. And we were there and we got her to come into our clinic. We showed her her baby and it, it changes. You know, our teens are not so hardened. They've no. just been told certain things, you know, when they see that baby, they, they still have that tender place in their hearts. In fact, I still remember the day that I told my, my kids and a couple of my nieces and nephews, what abortion was, they're flabbergasted kids. It's unimaginable yeah. to them that people would do that. And we, we lose that right. When we normalize that to children, um, but these teen moms, they're some of the easiest to change their mind when they see their baby, because they still have some, that softness in there. 
That's awesome. I remember my son came back to me when my uh when my granddaughter turned five. We were we were having the birthday party. And yeah. him him and and uh and uh his girlfriend got married and I remember it was just late and I was helping him pack up the car and, and uh his wife was in talking to my wife and he said, Dad, do you remember when I told you I, I thought my life was over? I was like, I do. He's like, yeah. excuse me. He said it was just beginning. And I think sometimes we got to look at that. And you realize, you know, yeah, you, you've, you've broken a big law here, right? You, you, you've done yeah. some things I, I would hope you wouldn't have. And, and that can't go away. But at the same time, I think we got to be ready to show them the way out. And Repentance is choose, real. Yeah. Help them choose life yeah so yeah and and it's it's just one of those things you know we just we keep moving forward god is in charge of um of loving he loves your son you know he loved his girlfriend he loves your little granddaughter and and we are just there to show them there there might be a crisis right this second you might think your life is is over right this is really common for the women that that are walking into the clinic they have this immediate crisis right in front of their face and they can't see a way around it and our job is to help them see the future in a different way help them see that we can help them get through this crisis can you imagine thinking oh i i had that horrible year i had the abortion i thought i couldn't do it but i i really could have you know yeah. hindsight looking back this the next year was better and and i was doing better and 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 to to feel like I chose that life ending decision because I was in this short term crisis situation, and you know some of the things that are the hardest in our lives make us who we are, and so you know we can't say that everything that's hard is bad. You no. know that that that's they can be blessings. They can be blessings. So we want to be God's hands when women are in that situation. I believe it was uh, Thomas Paine who says heaven knows how to affix a price to her goods. And I I think that that is a very appropriate statement for this kind of thing. Yes, it's hard. There's nothing easy about raising kids, but it's more than worth it. Um, I remember when this whole thing was going through, uh, I was going through it with my son. I remember... I just went and it struck me as odd because it came from Brigham Young, not not necessarily the guy known for being necessarily overly soft. <laughs> right. But I remember I read something from him out of the Journal of Discourses, and I can't remember what volume it was or whatever. But he said, you know, if if our young people fall into a moment of indiscretion, there's a way that that can be fixed. Right. And yeah. And I thought. And, and he talked about being tender and loving in those moments to 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 get your kids back where they needed to be with their kids now. And I thought, yeah. okay, if that hard ass can do it, so can I, right? And that was <laughs> that was that was initially what I thought. But yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. So let me ask you this, Dan: mm-hmm. What can my audience do to help you? As as you look at your needs, what is yeah. it we can do to help? So volunteers are the lifeblood of what we do. And I know all of your volunteer or all of your listeners aren't going to be near us. Um, most of what we do happens along the Wasatch front, right? Utah County up through 
Ogden, um, the majority. And statistically, two thirds of the women that get abortions in the state of Utah live in Salt Lake County. Proximity is a thing. Um, and so that's kind of the hub of, of what we're doing when we're working with a mom, you know, it's helpful to be somewhat near her. Right. Um, but volunteers are, are our lifeblood. We always need more, more volunteers always. And so, um, if you go to our website, prolifeutah.org, you can click on the get involved tab and it will let you do three things. It'll let you sign up for our text alerts, which I already gave you the phone number for. It will let you sign up for our monthly newsletter where you will know when you can help us. So if you're someone that's going to maybe show up to our memorial, right, an event that we have, maybe come to the Capitol every once in a while, that text alert will tell you when and um, and that newsletter will tell you what we're doing and when we're doing it. And then the other thing you can do is sign up up to um, volunteer with us. And it asks you a few questions, um, kind of gets to know a little bit about your schedule and things. And then that goes to my volunteer coordinator. We'll invite you to the next volunteer orientation and just get you started. Um, we have programs that have been started by our volunteers, our, our post-abortive support program and had that in her heart and wanted to supply that we had a need for that in the state and so we started that um and so you know we never know who who we get and and what they're going to how they're going to cause us to expand sometimes um again we have writing teams we have uh, the women's support team ways you can work with women we have a baby bank just coming and helping us sort um, items for our moms a couple times a year is something that people can do. Um, we have a social media team. If you need to work from home, um, you can help with our volunteer coordination at home. There's there's at-home things, there's in-person things, there's um, teams that work specifically with the women if you have that in your heart. Um, we just need people that can love these women where they're at. Um, and then help them um, with that love, right? So there's so many ways you can get involved. Um, or again, our, our website's prolifeutah.org. It's that get involved tab. I say sign up for all three. Um, you know, it, it gives you the opportunities to kind of figure out maybe what is best for you. And of course, donations are always needed. Um, we had started our mobile clinic 2021, May of 2021, it's been running. It was on and off for a little while. It's hard to find pro-life um, sonographers, interestingly enough. Um, so the first eight months we, we fluxed um, in service, out of service, because we had a hard time with our sonographers. But since then, all of 2022, it's been running. We were open three mornings a week. We're now expanded to four. Um, almost half of the donations that we get to run those programs and to give women those life grant, that life grant help comes from individual donors in the state of Utah. So that's always something, you know, that you can do. Um, we're going to put out our year end report. And basically what it will say is this is all the good we did. And please know that all of your personal donations went to our programs, not for back-end costs, right? Those are covered by a grant that we were able to get. And so you can know that your money is going specifically to the programs that support these moms. 
fantastic. So I'm going to ask another question here. Okay. And this one is always one I I personally struggle with because I, I never know how to answer it, which is one, do you, do you, do you have to be, and this may sound silly on the surface and I can explain it later. Do you have to be a woman in order to volunteer with the organization? No, okay. you don't. Um, we have actually men on the sidewalk and some of them are able to talk to women almost easier than uh, some of our women. Uh, you never know what personality is going to re- like resonate with the women walking in. So they're told by Planned Parenthood that, that we are protesters. They're told not to talk to us. They're told not to take our gift bag. Um, they're told to ignore us. They're even told to pretend they're on their phone while they walk in so that, you know, it's harder for us to talk to them. And yet still we're able to talk to some of them and, and give them support. And uh, we have some men out there uh, too. So on our women's support team that work directly with the women during their pregnancy, that is all uh, women based, but we have men that do writing for us. We have men that are helping with legislative efforts. Um, There's a lot of places for men. I think and and I'll just speak for myself on this, but but in some of the other guys I've talked to that are that are pro life to the degree I am, um, mm-hmm. we get this feeling like you don't get to have a dog in this fight, right? Yeah. That that you your your opinion is a far far third consideration. And I don't know if that's by design. I don't know if that is just how the battle went down. I don't know what happened, but it never set quite right with me. Right. You are, men are the other half of that baby, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we've done such a disservice because let me give you a a, a common example, right? Um, you've got a boyfriend and girlfriend or a, a, a young woman and a young man who know each other they get in trouble a little bit. They have, they get pregnant, right? Right. We have taught this generation to tell the woman, well, whatever you want to do, I'll, I'll let you do it. Right. But what you really have is a woman that wants you to say, I'm here for you. I, you know, I'm going to be here for your baby. I want your baby. She wants concrete, um, concrete knowledge that he's going to be there. But the pro-choice talking points have taught him that he's not allowed to say anything. He's not allowed to say, you know what? I really want our baby. I really want to be with you. And I really want to be a good father to this baby. He's not allowed. We've had this situation in our clinic um, multiple times where these women come in and, and you know, the, the man is with them and he's like, well, whatever you want to do. And you can just see her wanting to know that there's going to be that support. And so it's the biggest disservice we have ever done to both women and to men to tell men that they don't have a say in what happens to their child. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I was very fortunate growing up. Um, I didn't grow up Mormon at all. Um, but my old man, he was, he was old school. And I remember um, shortly before he passed, I, I had to have been 13 and uh, I remember he said, look, if you loved her enough to do that with her, you better love her enough to stick by her. And I, you know, I, I taught my sons the the same thing. 
right? Um, and I think in some respects, we, we kind of taught, especially this last generation, how to be weak a little too much. And I think, I, I, I honestly think that that sometimes the most dangerous men are, are the weak ones, right? It's it's okay to to say no. I, I we we're we're going to get through this somehow together. Yeah. We'll make this work. And I I just think it's so important that that men get involved in this. Um, yeah. I think I think it was a clever tactic because it even made me feel like. Yeah. Do do I have a dog in this fight? I mean, it it really did. It took me a while to work through that to be like, well, no, no, that's not really right. I I do have a dog in this fight. It's a human rights issue, and everybody should be involved in a human rights issue. Everybody, Absolutely. we are all human beings. We Absolutely. there's little boys and little girls who are losing their life, and we are all able to say this is wrong, and I'm going to be part of the solution. Absolutely. Is there anything you want to cover that we didn't, Deanna? Oh, gosh. (laughs) That's like the one question I'm not ready for, I think. (laughs) You know, don't be afraid to to talk about it, I think. Um, That's probably the the biggest problem. Don't be afraid to get uh, knowledgeable about it. Go to that abortionprocedures.com. It's the easiest way. In 20 minutes, you can watch all those videos, and you will have a much greater understanding of what we're looking at. There's even a a video with Dr. Levitino who used to perform abortions and he talks about life of the mother, how he was in a high risk clinic and he never once had a mom do an abortion for a high risk pregnancy. So we have this understand, like people think that we have to have an abortion. Well, the truth is if I'm preeclamptic and I, my blood pressure is too high, what do they do? They induce me. They bring the baby early. They treat the baby like a human being and give it as much care as they can. Right. That's not an abortion when they don't, they don't send me for a three day third trimester abortion when I'm preeclamptic. Right. So doctors treat women and their babies. And sometimes we have to separate the mom and the baby. And sometimes one of them may not survive. The baby might not survive, but if you lose the mom, you lose them both. And so These doctors all across the state of Utah are dealing with these situations every day. They're not abortions. Um, And so there's just knowledge that we're missing as a society. And the more you learn, the more you'll be prepared when people come at you with um, false information, right? Their misunderstanding of what it is. It is 100% okay to be pro-life. There is a good answer for all of those things swirling out around there. And so educating yourself makes you a much better advocate for life because you can, you have an answer to those questions, right? So learn, get involved, whatever you have the time for. I've got some beautiful volunteers who have small children and I just marvel at them every day, um, what they're able to do. I was a mess when I had little kids, right? But they care and we find a place that they can serve in, in the space and the time that they have, right? Because we need you, we need you. And we don't just need you in our organization. We need you talking about it. Nobody wants to say the A word. You know, I, I was asked to speak in church and I, this shows a little bit of my um, personality, but I was asked to speak about um, the service that I do. And I said, are you sure you want me to do that? And they said, oh, yeah, yeah. And um, I purposely said the A word 10 times 
in my job. girl. Because we don't talk about it. We're afraid to talk about it. We're afraid to, to mention it. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. You know what? When I, when I started doing this work and I started talking about it, people realized that I was a safe place and I was able to, women came to me, women that I didn't know they were post-abortive. They came to me because now I was a safe place. When we don't talk about this with each other, these women walk around feeling like we would look at them the way they look at themselves. And the truth is who you were when you were 18 and scared is not who you are when you're 45 today. And that's the person I know. And I have a lot of compassion for that scared 18 year old person, but that 45 year old woman still thinks that we are going to look at her like that because we never talk about it. And so be, be that safe place, be that person who, who shows that compassion, be the person that, that loves that teen mom or that early twenties mom in your congregation, sit by her, right? Go to her baby shower, whatever it is, let's change this culture, her, her choices and and what she did. That's between her and God. What's not between her and God is what we do. How we treat her is, is our job, right? That's our job is to love her. I think that's, that's, perfect because that's really the only if if we're going to win this thing we're going to win it with love we're not going to win it with criticism we're not going to win it with this idea of you know yeah you you did a completely shameful thing and you should pay for that the rest of your life this has to be won with love and if if we're on the other side of what something would be considered love we don't stand much of a chance, Deanna. We just don't. Yeah. So I, I I loved what you said there. Yeah, I think I think we Thank have you. got to to change how we respond to people. Do we believe in the atonement or do we not? Right. And if we do, then that is that's that's there for them just as much as it is for us. And and our job is not to punish. Our job is to support and help and be God's hands. Yeah. Yeah. And and I don't know anybody who would ever encourage somebody to go commit a greater sin to try to cover up the lesser one. Right? I'm glad you don't, but there are, there are people. Yeah. There are. Yep. Yeah. Well, Deanna, you're a rock star. Everything you guys do <laughs> over there is amazing. I, I you. follow you close on Facebook. Thank you. To my listeners, I'm going to say this. I usually throw something up on every episode where I say donations are welcome and they are, but this time, give it to her, give it, give it to pro-life <laughs> Utah. That's going to make a bigger difference. If you want to, well, I'm just going to say it. If you want to make sure that you are good with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, choose life. Moses laid it out perfectly in, in, in Exodus, choose life donate volunteer get involved because uh, history tells us scriptural history tells us yeah how we treat the defenseless is is who we are and and judgments will follow we need everyone's help to to take back our our godliness to take back our culture to become who we we should be as a society we need everybody's help Absolutely. 
Dina, would you mind coming back? Uh, Deanna, excuse me. Would you mind coming back on when you get uh, when stuff comes up? I'd love to keep sure. talking with you. Now, sure. now that That'd you've be been great. on with the with a crazy fundamentalist <laughs> once, it's probably not quite so scary the second time around. So, oh, we'll talk to we'll talk to everyone about this. Right? This is this is something that that passes barriers. Perfect. So. Perfect. Yeah. No Keep problem. us up to date. You need okay. anything, you let me know. I'll shout it from the rooftops. Perfect. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Bye. All right. You're listening to the Mormon Renegade Podcast.